Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Kirk Gray. Hey, Kirk. Completely off what we were just talking about is I just finished a webinar uh, that uh, Chris Jackson was doing. And one of the comments at the end of it is that somebody said, we miss the intro music you used to use. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the old system I had had a waiting room. You could put music behind it, you know, something like that. And, And then... And it got so buggy and so unreliable, uh, it wouldn't even make a whole episode without something crashing in it. And it was all kinds of reasons for it, but it was like, so I bailed on that and went to Zoom. And while there is a way we could get music in there, I just haven't figured it out yet in a convenient, practical way. But that's beside the point. That's beside the point. That's right. That's okay. But we had a good time chatting on the webinar. But you, we were chatting earlier, and I asked you about your you. You mentioned that you were off for the weekend at a uh, I want to call it a pinball festival, but I think it was more of a pinball uh, nerds convention. Or... <laughs> <laughs> yes, the pinball nuts. Yeah, uh, the, it was called the Texas Texas Pinball Festival. That's it was it, a festival. Okay, it was a festival where all the crazy pinball nuts come, and it had been. A long time since we uh, were able to hold something this big because of the uh, pandemic. So uh, this was now, um, and there used to be one. Uh, the biggest one was in Pittsburgh called Pinburg, and it's it would it would killed by the COVID. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but it, you were you were talking about. I asked you right off, you know, because I know you were always in there talking to guys that the folks that design these oh, yeah. things or own these companies. Right. And, and, and right. Uh, naturally, since you break stuff on a regular basis, you, you, right. and, and you've, you've talked about previously, even on this show about getting in under the hood and fixing stuff and working. Yeah, um, just last week or right before I came down to go to the festival, I had to pick up my, one of my pinball machines. I had to resolder a wire back on, uh, after it fell off underneath, it was to a bunch of, uh, switches, in series, mm-hmm. and uh, the nice thing is I can go to the internet and usually put it on Facebook, and all the other pinball nuts will know that problem yep. or where the wire is. So that that's part of the benefit of being in that uh, community. But they they just you know pinball machines have been manufactured for forty more 50 years or 60 years something like that when uh, uh, flippers were invented and um, you know not a whole lot has changed in a lot of those things well I was surprised when when you described describe the way the flippers were assembled as they have a, a, a smooth dowel right? yeah, shaft, smooth shaft. Smooth shaft and the flipper has a split ring on it that has a bolt right. To, to grip squeeze, the, squeeze right. it. And I can imagine, I mean, to, to be on the defense, it's, it's a convenient way to manufacture something. Yeah. Uh, it, it alignment can be done, but it adds an adjustment at during assembly and all those other stuff. The issue right. is, is that you are banging on a large, the pinball, which is a large ball bearing, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. with some exactly. mass to it. And it bangs along and bangs along and that's going to sh- slip. It's just, we know it's going to slip because you're not bonding these two things. I, I, I imagine they're not even putting, uh, what's the, the talk, uh, uh, 
uh, tight Loctite? Bond. Loctite, or no, yeah. No, no, no. They don't do any of that. And you basically have to uh, visually align it on using a, a dot on the top of the play field for the positioning of the flipper, and then you tighten that bolt, which may slightly change the positioning. So right. Now, I, I know that... I know from our previous discussions that you're, I mean, besides not being a statistician, um, I didn't really gather that you had a real strong mechanical engineering background or education. I mean, you're familiar with stuff, right? But I'm I, familiar with stuff, and most of my mechanical engineering knowledge has come from assembling and disassembling things like uh, ion implanters and uh, right. seeing physical switches. And and the nice thing about me, well, the benefit to mechanical engineering is a lot of times you can visually see things. That That's are right. Up. It's real hard to to rewire an IC when you can't see the right. You cells. can't see electrons, but you can see gears and wear and broken wires and mechanical, you know, yeah. switches that are broken. Well, what fascinated me and what tipped me into like, why don't we learn from our past, you know, or, or pay attention is because you said that these things were on a, a smooth doll and just a grip, uh, attachment. Right. right. And, and you know, it's got a moment on it. If you're hitting it out near the end of the right. tip of that flipper, you're putting a lot of torque on this thing. Right. And it, and it gets, has to be adjusted every now and then. And it used to be, there was, in pinball machines, there used to be one pinball at a time. Now, typically, in fact, almost all pinball machines have what's called a multi-ball mode, where they may throw out up to six pinballs. So you're banging so you may away be not hitting. Thing. You're banging away, but you now own not just hitting one ball at a time. You may have three balls on a flipper, so the oh, mass uh. is three times, and yet they're still using the design from the original. You know, 50 years ago, the yeah. way pinball flippers were made. It's the most basic mechanical part. I mean, pop bumpers, all the other things, slingshots as we call them, they're all pretty much the same and pretty much reliable, and they, they don't really need a lot of change. But as an engineer, I look at it and I say, this is crazy. Why have all these years, when I have to adjust these machines, you know, I have rebuilt flippers, that, that they don't have a locking gear, a spline shaft, or just a key shaft yeah. that or mechanically a flat side locks to it that. that. Right, so yeah. that every pinball machine, and this is a difference, and maybe you know, it gives the challenge player a challenge when he goes to a different pinball location and tries the same model. It'll be slightly different angle. It'll be slightly different angle, and that is everything on making shot is where those flippers lay mm -hmm. and what the angle is. And it's just, you know, you're talking about micrometers and millimeters that the position of where the ball is on the flipper and where it's going to go, which is the whole point of. So we're, we're not going to solve it for the pinball industry, but it's like you and I are not wizards of mechanical engineering. And we both no. look at it going, what are they thinking? Just put a key in there, you know? <laughs> right. And I thought about that too. And I've talked to, the major manufacturer, one of the designers, and he says, oh, yeah, we've thought about that. And then at the show, I was talking to another, the second probably largest manufacturer, and he says, oh, yeah, well, and he pointed me to a, a booth at the, at the show where um, two engineers, and I went up and talked to them, uh, have actually incorporated that into the flipper assembly. In fact, they were selling replacement flippers and shafts with exactly what I was talking about, a spline, a geared shaft, so that you could lock that shaft mechanically to the the uh, plunger arm, the solenoid arm that 
makes that flip. And, um, I, you know, they were asking a, a, a very large expense. The problem is for most men at most pinball, uh, owners and operators and pinball manufacturers is if a design works over 45 years and generally it works, it may slip a little, you may have problems tightening that. But in general, my experience is that that's that friction grip that they use has worked for decades. And so, uh, even though if they had invented, if they thought of this their own or wanted to come up with it, uh, they could have done that you decades ago, but then there's two engineers at the show patented that. Oh, they did. They found yeah. Oh, good yeah. Grief. Yeah. So yeah, they're that, no wonder the manufacturers don't want to deal with them. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. I said, you guys, they said, well, they're not interested. And so they're trying to sell it to the end user at $120 to replace and rebuild your whole flipper assembly. Which ain't gonna happen. Yeah, Nobody's no. gonna go for but, that. But the I think the main point though is is that I mean, there's a whole ton of things that we know about mechanical engineering. And there's right. guidebooks and rules and all right. kinds of stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And but I've run into this more than once, is or two phenomena that come up to it. One is, hey, it, it ain't broke enough that we care enough right. to spend the money right. to do it. Right. You know, right. which is this case with the, the flipper right. attachment. But it would cost something. But right. there's also the there's the alt the other end of that spectrum is that there's and I've run into it where it's a new designer that's heads down trying to solve a problem and they come up with a really creative new approach to I don't know if they're motivated by getting a patent or that they don't want to read the literature or ignored everything they've learned about mechanical attachment and they make something and they ship it and then it doesn't work. And I'm thinking of the Gullwing um, doors on the Tesla. One of their vehicles had Gullwing doors that are just a disaster. And then there's all kinds of issues here, there and there. The, the automatic driving systems get the news, but they, they took pride in reinventing everything. And I'm like, you know, that's usually from a reliability point of view, a really bad idea. There's a reason that something that's been built for 50 years and works well enough is great. Fix the critical part so that it's better. But if you change everything, now you're chasing disasters one after another and recall after another to, to catch up the learning curve. Why can't, we, and I'm including all engineers in this, is build on our history of what we know and don't know and improve it rather than throw it all away and ignore it and start over. Now, I'm grossly generalizing, but yeah. it's, but the idea is, is that too many times, and you've run into it, an engineer is head down solving a problem and it's like, well, this is really cool. And you look at it and go... Well, yeah, that won't work. <laughs> you know, or it, somebody else already has a patent on it. Or you know, come on, look around a little bit. You got Google, use it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Fred, we do want people to innovate. We do want people. We want engineers to come up with new ideas. And you know, it may the Goldwing. I don't know what the uh, uh, big advantage is. Maybe getting into the car, it looks it's easier. Cool. It's cool. It's cool. Okay. Yeah, you can't park and, close to anything, you know. Well, okay. But, um, I mean, if it's just, you know, aesthetically they wanted to change how it worked or they saw some advantages. 
the point is that they needed to, I mean, they needed to find out before they released it. They needed to beat the crap out of it and see what it fails on that if they wanted to release it. I think they could have found if they had, unless it's manufacturing problems, but from a design standpoint, they should have been able to establish uh, through, you know, uh, vibration and, you know, opening well, and closing yeah, there's, there's rapidly and things yeah. like that. They could have induced that kind of, kind if of thing. If they had so, time. If they had time to well, do it. There's all kinds they, of reasons for that. And, well, and, and, yeah, and you but go back to they're going to pay now or they're going to pay later. Whatever. I know. And the thought was, get it on the market. We got to grab market share. And that's been very successful for them. Yeah. The right. trouble is, is that it's, they're getting, well, it, without discussing all their business models and everything, back right. to the mechanical part. And yeah, we want engineers to, to continue to innovate, innovate and evolve right. and make things better and stronger right. and cheaper and all those other good things. But mm-hmm. I'm not getting on an airplane that's never been tested, you know, <laughs> or it's a brand new concept, you know. Yeah. Um, if yeah. you know the, the very, that's why they call them test pilots because they know they're taking a risk, <laughs> right? Um, they get right. paid the big bucks to, you know, risk their life essentially to make sure that that craft well, works. Let's let's give the benefit of the doubt to Tesla that they do do some kind of testing. Okay, well, I'm sure they do. It's just okay. a matter of if if I'm going to innovate a product, yes. I, I'm thinking, let's say a laptop. Let's get out of those other okay. markets, right? You got All a right. brand new laptop. Yeah, and you're the first one in the market with a laptop and it's got about a 30 minute battery and they functionally only really work and some people will blame the operating system but they the motherboards fail or the hard drive fails or the you know right usually it was the power supply fails right uh, because they were taking all these innovations and shoving it into a form factor that was nowhere near the size of the desktop that they were pulling all these parts from. Right. So they had to change the designs and structure and formatting of everything. And when those things first got introduced, it was, you know, Hey, you got to, at that time they were, I called them luggables because it was a 15, 20. Right. Well, we remember the 15, the compact, Portable computer, a yeah. little green yeah. screen. It comes point. with a dolly, so you can carry yes. it. <laughs> and, and then it right. comes with a, 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 a brick for, for the power, which they couldn't even fit the power supply in. Right. It, was, it was heavier right. than a laptop. But anyway, right. they were making tons of innovations just to get that form factor. Right. Right. And it was a disaster from a business point of view of how long it lasts, but it was new and cool and people right. like the idea that they could take their computer with them. Road right. warriors, especially. Sure. It, but the market immediately demanded it got better. It would work longer. It would have right. better battery life. And, and I don't right. want this external power supply and, but, but it took 20 years, 30 years for that to evolve. And so now if somebody comes out with a smartwatch, they yeah. were they weren't all that wonderful at the start, but it's part of this evolution. of stuff is is uh, yeah, we can learn, but there's lessons learned is not a barrier to making innovation. It's a starting point. I think is my main point is the if you're looking at a pinball machine and going to an operator or operate a, a arcade and somebody's running a bunch of these machines, is well, how much are you spending on time and energy to to fix and adjust (laughs) these flippers on a regular basis and if it's if it's less than 120 dollars, well i'm not putting it into my manufacturing exactly right exactly if it's more than that then i'll do it but if it's if it's not thought through as a business plan 
there's a reason for it. But if it's just, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think that's what leads us to the lack of innovation and to the lack of effort to make changes. And then the opposite end is somebody comes along and says, well, instead of a mechanical flipper, we're going to use a force field instead. You can't even see it. So it makes it a new challenge (laughs) and completely, you know, redesign this thing. Well, actually, they do have that. I know. Okay. I thought I came up with something (laughs) No, they use magnetic uh, magnets, electromagnets under the table, and one machine. Uh, I think it was the Twilight Zone. Actually, you turned on a magnet, and it and it suddenly attracted the ball to essentially redirect it to act as if it was a a flipper sort okay. of. But it worked. I mean, that's an old you know coil retracting. It didn't be a problem, but. The problem, I guess, is comparative. You know, you just kind of said, you kind of alluded to it, that if we're used to this level of maintenance for cars or whatever, mm-hmm. and certainly one of the big advantages to electric vehicles is you get rid of the oil changes, you get rid of the... Oh, the brakes know, last things. forever. Yeah, and because all that. Right, because yeah. you're regenerating, right. So there's just a lot of advantages there that uh, are overcome over a gasoline-powered car. But you still, the expected maintenance, you know, is hopefully less. But the problem with pinball machines, and the reason you'll never see them in a Dave and Buster's or any other places that, you know, uh, are heavily, you know, lots of games in them, Mm -hmm. except for arcades, is because they've always historically required a lot of maintenance. Mm -hmm. They're heavily electromechanical. They've got rubber bumpers and rubber... uh, uh, rings, O-rings that wear out and oxidize, and... right? And and uh, and then you've got uh, you've got basically uh, sleeves in the coils, or you know solenoids that that have a rod going back and forth for either the pop bumpers or the uh, all of them, and they they're... wear out. They wear out. They only and, have so many cycles. So, Do they right, still they use the some... big relays? The mechanical. The, the elect- electromechanical relays, oh, is that no, still no. These are all microprocessor-powered okay, systems. Okay, okay. It's it's now very consolidated. And, uh, in fact, the electronics is such a small part of the machine. And, I mean, the boards, and, you know, it's almost like uh, they're using an ATX board. I think uh, one of the uh, engineers told me that he's, you know, they are do using a basically a PC underneath the play field to uh, run the, but it should take much room it's now very small you know i mm-hmm. mean it's almost like you do a raspberry pi and some people have made pinball machines with uh with those little uh microcomputers yeah but um anyway they they uh they are innovating all the time they're trying to make new toys and new ways to you know uh have a mechanism hold the ball or capture the ball or something like that. And so, uh, you know, we're all, we're all looking for those kind of new, uh, experiences in the, in the machine, but you know, they really just, everybody's the whole world of pinball is you take it that they're going to be acquired maintenance almost always over a period of time. Now the home environment's not too bad usually, but out there in the locations, it is every week there's a pinball machine. And at this Texas Pinball Festival, by the end of the show, I would say about 30% of those machines after, out of 100 or maybe two, 300 machines 
about 30% were failed. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. In, at some point that's just going to become, a, somebody's going to come out with one that just lasts 10 years without any maintenance whatsoever and well, kind yeah, of blow so everybody I, else away. But I it, mean, you could, <laughs> they do have the big pinball simulators that have a big LCD panel in the, in a, in a uh, box, yeah, I saw that. Know? That's just that's just so fake that it really. It's like you've seen a little picture of a pinball coming down at you, and like. And that's why we, you know, even though your your uh, PlayStation uh, and your Xbox all have uh, programs to simulate a pinball table, it's not the same as a physical pinball system and the the steel ball bouncing around the randomness of it how it can be an air ball where it flies over a rail because it hits something Uh, those are all not not you know that's what's missing and so we're all still uh enjoying the real pinball machine more than uh you know what you can put on your ipad or your phone which it's okay for learning the rules of certain games and yeah. stuff like that. But. Well, you know that it, it, we'll wrap it up here. But you know, my the favorite application I've seen for an iPad is it turns the screen into like a fish tank that you're looking down on. So there's <laughs> fish are swimming through the screen and stuff. Yeah. And, and of course, there's a cat video of that. You know, the cat's yeah, playing yeah. with it. Yeah. And as the cat touches the screen, the fish respond to it and move away. <laughs> stuff like that so you hold it up to your cat and he can have fun with it that's right it's, it's... your cats try it oh no no they were not interested at all <laughs> <laughs> typical cats you know yeah, yeah. i thought i'd make them fam- but yeah hey, there's only so a much laser you can do. pointer will really do great for them, yeah they were gonna like, they're like yeah whatever now <laughs> but the idea is is that you can simulate stuff but there's also a, a tactical or tactical um sensory difference from a mechanical system versus not mechanical yes and yeah i can do my whole dashboard of my car and one big lcd screen um right except the law says you have to have a mechanical uh odometer or something like that i think that's changed because i don't think my odometer is mechanical no, I don't think any of them are mechanical now. Anymore, but that, that is a protected chip, though. They make sure that you can't yeah. turn it. Try, but the, but the idea is, is that the we've evolved for thousands of years of mechanical innovations and building all these information, right. and it's behooves us as an engineer to pay attention to the lessons learned because they're usually things that will save you a ton of time and energy and stuff. Innovation's great. But innovation for the sake of innovating alone, right. um, I don't think is useful. If And it's got to have a business model. It's got to be a customer acceptance, all those other factors to it. But it there's, you know, not taking advantage of what we already know to reduce the maintenance load. And there may be other parts of the machine that would benefit way more from, you know, learning what we've learned before. Right. But um it applies to any industry is pay attention to the history and, and the trajectory of those histories. And right. yeah, there's cases where you need to disrupt that. That makes sense, but that should be deliberate as a disruption and well thought right. out because you almost always start at the bottom of the heap from a reliability point of view. Doing mm-hmm. that. There are exceptions, I'm sure. So if you you're listening to this and you, you know of a great exception where the innovation just really revolutionized the part of the mechanical world, you know, let us know. Or if you're on our 
team here, or at least my team saying, hey, no, there's stuff that we need to pay attention to. Love to hear from you on that. And if you like pinball, give Kirk a shout. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He'll tell you about a we great We can talk festival. about it endlessly. But yeah, I, 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 I'm all for innovation. But I think when you innovate, you really need to take a super, super big emphasis on uh, testing for reliability and actually physically uh, the first samples and everything you do, you plan, especially, and that's what we do in companies we look for, look at, you know, I worked for in the past is any major change or any new technology that would be the focus. That's yeah, where you we go do. Sort it you know, out. How's this going to, yeah. How's it going to fail? When will it fail? Bullwings of doors have been around for a long time. You know, Tesla must have had some history of knowing what the problems are. But then they needed to find out themselves. And maybe yeah. they didn't have time, but, you know, we talk about pay now, pay later. Yeah, and you exactly. pay now and you save a lot of money. So, yeah. anyway. All sounds good, Kirk. And and um, I'll ask you about the next festival as uh, we get around to it. But uh, okay. in, in the meantime, keep your systems running. I will be playing pinball today. All right. So if you got a question for us or a comment, let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash S-O-R. A couple of ways for you to get in touch with us there. Um, no pinball skills necessary. <laughs> and, and you can go, Kirk and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and through email. And so there's lots of ways you can get in touch with us. And, and in fact, Kirk, I want to talk to you about a question I got the other day. Okay. Uh, or, and uh, so we'll bring that up on the next episode. So we'll talk to you again real soon. All right, Fred. Good to talk to you. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.